Hello, lovelies. Welcome back to Confessions of a PYP Teacher. I'm Lou Gerlach with Think Chat. Welcome to confession number uh, 92. Well, we are going to focus on why not personal inquiry, sharing pictures of practice, and setting our own goal, which is uh, sections 1.4 to 1.6 in Kath Murdoch's new book, Getting Personal with Inquiry Learning. Just a reminder, friends, that this is a multiple-part series um, focused on our book club and and also reflections that I have. And thinking about all of this, um, remember, if you haven't started the journey with us, go back to the prior episode to get caught up so that you can scaffold on up to this experience. So Kath really addresses dissenting voices and the people who ask why not in section 1.4, which I think is really a valuable practice because we have to honor the voices of the people who might be hesitant or the people who might be fearful of, you know, change. And as we know that we have gone through a heck of a lot of change in a very short period of time during the pandemic and prior. School systems regularly go through a lot of change, uh, whether curriculums, you know, one moment um, you're doing this program and then next thing you know, you come back to the new school year and there's an entire curriculum and then you have to go to mandated professional development and redesign all over again. It can be draining, but with that said, It's also, there's going to, even with all those changes, there is going to be a group of educators out there that are um, resistors and they resist everything because out of fear, uncertainty, and frustration. And I totally understand their uncertainty about inquiry because it requires a mind shift and how we look at our learners, our curriculum, and the end goal. Now, Kath reminds us an inquiry stance means being intentionally open-minded. It means listening to alternative voices and avoiding the temptation to dwell inside one's own echo chamber. It means being willing to listen to a range of perspectives and being prepared to acknowledge the pitfalls as well as the successes. With this notion in mind, Kath addresses the most common arguments against inquiry-based learning. Now, I have for the sake of time, only chosen ones that resonated with me. And I'm going to possibly reflect on the responses um, because that's what we do and that's how we grow as a learner. So here's the argument that Kath has highlighted. Inquiry is great in principle, but the reality is that it can't possibly work with one educator and a large class of learners. It is just not practical. So here is how Kath responded to that statement. Joyful as the experience can be, this is a sophisticated and demanding pedagogy that requires a strong repertoire of strategies and ideally a team and wider school culture to support it. We have to know our curriculum. If you're moving into a brand new curriculum and you don't know about inquiry and you're trying to implement it, that's going to be hard because you don't know yet how to wield the curriculum um, so that we can do less engagements that are more rich 
and also that you can do multiple standards in one go. And that's what I think she means by that, is like, how do you know what to manipulate, what to teach more in depth, what to teach lightly? You have to know that before you can truly embrace inquiry. And this resonated with me because it reminded me of my experience as a coordinator working in an at-risk community for the past three years. And I've often heard this argument, not just at this campus, but other campuses that serve students from at-risk environments, is that the PYP is only successful in affluent schools where there are additional resources, less teaching gaps, and more parental support. Ironically, I heard this argument also at affluent schools, saying, oh, these parents need to uh, provide more tutoring. These kids have more gaps, blah, 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 blah. And at the end of the day, it comes down to will. Are you willing to put yourself into a vulnerable spot, to look at your learners differently, right? To think about how you're going to make this program work with your school community rather than thinking of it like a one size fits all because it is not and how we look at our learner greatly determines if and what they achieve so if we look at our learners as capable young people who can take ownership of their learning regardless of where they are in reading or math levels then they're going to rise to the occasion but if we look at them that oh, they can't do it well, they won't do it because you won't teach it. And it all stems back to us feeling capable as educators. So here's another argument that's posed in this book. Following learners' interests makes it too hard to meet curriculum standards. Here's Kath's response. Not only do I consider curricular quite compatible with inquiry, but I'd also argue that educators do a far better job of inquiry teaching when they choose to get really get to know their curriculum, to know it so well that they can let it go and see the opportunities for connection as they rise. So true. This goes back to that prior argument. Do you know the curriculum that you're teaching? Have you taught it a minute? And if you're constantly moving grade levels, that's really hard. I did that for many times where I come back and I was teaching a different grade level. And it's really hard to become a master of it, but you still can do it. And this reminds me of Kath's video that's on YouTube called What It Means to Be an Inquiry Teacher. And she speaks about the misconceptions of the teacher being laissez-faire, hands off. And in fact, the, quite the opposite is true of an inquiry teacher. They know their curriculum so well that they're able to wield it. So the learning is within context of the learning, which leads to greater learning transfer. And they know their students. They have that relationship. They know how far they can push their students um, so that they're building their capacities um, as a learner. So those are a couple of the arguments that are posed. And what's really interesting is that Along with this, in 1.5, um, Kath talks about the pictures of our practice approaches to personal inquiry. And what's really interesting to me in this section 
is that I'll be honest, it made me pause and reflect on how I lead personal inquiry with my learners. There are several strategies that I've employed over my time um, uh, as a teacher, right? Um, and some of them, I worked with them and evolved from them. Um, and it was really interesting as we're trying to navigate personal inquiry, what it looks like and what it feels like and what are the different components and different types. Um, in the book club, someone says, you only know what you know. And we can't feel bad um, that we've been doing personal inquiry one way. Uh, we're just moving forward with our practice and being more reflective. And this quote stayed with me uh, for quite some time um, that I'm about to share. That was said by Nadine Crane in this book. If you leave it till grade five or six and you haven't developed the skills and the voice, if you haven't actually done the groundwork with them, then it's very difficult for them to switch that on when they've been relying on the teacher to do all the architecture and thinking about learning. All of a sudden, the spotlight is on them. We need to give time to the development of student voice and the skills associated with personal inquiry throughout school. We cannot assume that because they're young, it's something that they can't do because that's just not true in my experience. Ah, uh, and it's so, and having taught, you know, fourth and fifth grade, most of my teaching career, it's amazing what is, even in PYP schools, what sometimes is not taught and then it's an expectation as we're preparing for the PYP exhibition. And so it has to be scaffolded through so what is the best way to begin personal inquiry in our practice? Kath states, the question should be, what might be the best way to incorporate this in our school? What might work best for our learners? Once again, I love that because she's constantly going back to, it's not a one size fits all. Where are we on our journey? And what's gonna be best for our learners and our school? Now the remaining portion of this section reviews different types of personal inquiry models and their limitations and their strengths, such as extended personal projects, such as passion projects, innovation days, genius hour, and discovery time and explorations. These all have finite times where the inquiry is honored. Instead, the suggestion is to follow more the iTime or studio time model where learners are given one and a half to two hours per week to explore their personal inquiries. And for more information about all of this, be sure to read um, page 35 on how iTime is structured and its benefits. Also, be sure to check out the flow of personal inquiry on page 38. It really clarified how personal inquiry might look and feel from pre-kindergarten through the upper elementary um, school level. Now, at the end of our sections of 1.6, um, this looks at when and where and organizing time and space um, for personal inquiry to happen. So there will never personally be a perfect time to engage with inquiry. We don't just say, oh, 
okay, one to two, we're going to inquire. We should be doing that all day long. So we, in order for it to thrive, we have to make space for it to happen naturally and within the context of the learning. So an argument that's made is why was there such a gap between the way we would prefer to use our time and the way we do use our time? And Cass' response is, we have a curriculum we are required to attend to. And so many educators felt that offering choice meant that the curriculum expectations would not be met. She continues, we need to reconsider our relationship with time as something we control rather than something that controls us. It is the educators who know their curriculum best that have the most confidence to let go, knowing they will see the opportunities to connect with it as they observe and listen to the learners. And time is always, always the number one argument against inquiry, against concepts, because they do take time. But think about it. We are in that process of that time, creating young people who can think, reason, right? And be able to problem solve. And we need that for the future as we, you know, as they start to take over this planet and make decisions of how it operates. So when I'm thinking about our book club experience, we are taking on different roles based on Misty Misty Patterson's um, book club kit. And it's been fascinating um, for me in three book clubs utilizing this kit because it really helps to kind of deepen um, the focus. And this week I focused on being the summarizer as part of my book club role alongside my friend Ragini. And it was a challenge to take this role because I love to talk as you can tell. And you have to succinctly summarize so many wonderful ideas down to a sentence or two, or maybe a paragraph. So we work together to determine that people resist inquiry due to fear. And this is common in schools where the culture is not defined. Some teachers dive into inquiry. Others will dip their toes into it while the remainder hide under the umbrella of pretending that no one, you know, hoping no one can see them, right? And all we can do is move closer to our goals and be a positive example of inquiry and action. That's it. We can't push anyone to into the pool. It's just not possible. And we don't know what we don't know. Our inquiry journey, journey is not the same year to year. In the beginning, we may have relied on scaffolded systems like Genius Hour, which is okay. And if you're still using Genius Hour, it's okay. And if you're still using the system with your learners, Think about how am I going to free it up to become more personal inquiry? So your learners are exploring regularly instead of on fun Fridays. And ultimately we have to manage our time, not the other way around. We can maximize the experiences within our classrooms by knowing our curriculum well, so we can leverage it as a tool for deeper learning. Now, I hope you will join us for our next book club. It's next Wednesday um, at uh, 7 a.m. Eastern. Um, Please, once again, DM me at Lou Gerlach, either on Twitter or LinkedIn, and I will send you the details. We look forward to um, seeing you there and engaging once more with this fabulous book.
Toodles. Ack, I forgot to talk about setting our own goals, just like me, right? Well, friends, um, just thinking about this as how are you setting your own personal inquiry goal um, for the length of this book club? It ends at the end of August. What are you going to do during the summer to develop yourself? Now, something that I'm doing, I'm not going to lie. I am absolutely terrified at it, which is why I'm doing it is I'm learning how to create a really good TikTok video. And I'm going back through all my podcasts and I'm pulling out one or two tips from each episode that I'm going to briefly talk about on TikTok just to get our brains flowing and to have some quick tips um, as we enter into the next school year. That sounds like a lot of fun, but what's the practicality? I have no clue. So guess what? It's become my personal inquiry. So what is something that you're working on inside or outside of school? Maybe it's learning how to embroider. Maybe it's learning how to paint or uh, learning how to code. Who knows? Whatever it is, you decide what's going to be your personal inquiry that you're going to honor for yourself so that... Um, you continue to grow and develop into the great little human that you are. Talk to you soon.